Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. I'm Megan Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome to the show that is all about uncovering the awesome in the everyday. Each week, my co-hosts and I give our favorite tips, share our best stories, and confide our true confessions as we invite you to join us in the pursuit of awesome. This is episode 73 of the show. I'm joined this week by my dear friend and lovely co-host, Kelly Gordon. And today, we are all set up for a question and answer episode about my recent travels to Lebanon. If you are a new listener, you may not know that earlier this month, I traveled with World Vision USA to Lebanon to see the work being done for people experiencing the Syrian refugee crisis there. Coming up soon, I'll be releasing my coverage of the trip right here on Sorta Awesome. But for today, Kelly and I are just going to talk about the trip itself, how my travels went, how my family did while I was away, and lots of my thoughts on my very first trip overseas. We're going to get to all of that in just a moment, but first, let's go ahead and start the show the way we always do with Awesome of the Week. Kelly, what do you have for us this week? Hey, Awesomes. Okay, so I have something for you this week that is so quintessential fall and so quintessential me in many ways because it's about fall food. It's about food. Yay. It is. But you know what? This is something that there might be some awesomes out there who know this already, who are experienced with what I'm about to tell you. I was not. This is new to me. It is truly a newfound kind of obsession and love. And it is spaghetti squash. All right. Okay, I have to tell you. Spaghetti squash is one of those things I see tons of recipes for. I tried one years ago. It was a total flop, and I have never tried it again. So I okay. can't wait to hear what you have to tell us about this. It is intimidating. I'm going to guess that most people have at least heard of spaghetti squash at this point because you can stand in spaghetti squash, theoretically, for people who are not eating gluten. So you could use this in place of regular pasta. So that's where I think it really shot up the charts as far as recognition goes. But I have heard people say that before, that they haven't cooked it or it didn't work out well. And so because of that, when I first bought a spaghetti squash, it was actually earlier this summer, I was trying to eat very low carb just to kind of reset my taste buds, you guys. It was really a exercise to get me to stop eating sugar. Um, 
I thought, hey, this is a good opportunity. It's a good excuse to actually explore this squash and see what happens. You know, low risk. I wasn't going to feed it to my family. Like, let's just see what happens. So I went online, as one does, and Googled it and started to read different things. And I found, I think, the key to cooking spaghetti squash. So when I've heard what you just said, Megan, people say, it just doesn't work well. I thought, I think I've discovered the answers to those questions without ever having cooked it poorly. So here's the thing. <laughs> like me. Like I didn't do it and go, oh, that didn't work. Right. You know, like because I had done, you know, there because of the blessing of the internet, other people had already done the work for me as far as like figuring it out. So gotcha. a spaghetti squash, if you guys haven't seen one before, they're kind of oblong, yellow, very thick skin, kind of knobby sometimes. And most recipes tell you if you're going to cook a spaghetti squash to cut it straight down the middle, you know, stem to stern and scoop out the seeds like most squash it has, you know, those gooey seeds in there. And then to cook it, either roast it in your oven or there's a lot of recipes that even talk about how to, you could do it in the microwave. But here's the thing. The spaghetti and the spaghetti squash, the, the noodles, if you will, a spaghetti squash, actually, they're around the circumference of the squash. They're not from the stem to stern. So when you're doing that, it's essentially breaking all of your spaghetti in half. Okay. So like some people do do that when they put it in a pot for whatever reason, they're cooking actual pasta and they break the noodles mm-hmm. to make sure. them smaller. When you cut a spaghetti squash down the middle, you are breaking, so to speak, all the noodles. So I read a thing. It was actually a blog called Eat Within Your Means. And she has all these, like, people have written to her. And so she has all these updates, like, here's what, you know, the interwebs say about this. So lots of good, you know, crowdsourcing going on there. She said, cut it across the middle. So, like, Ah. you're going to end up with one inch, maybe rings of spaghetti squash. Okay. Okay. So you're going to end up with, you know, six to eight to 10, depending on how big your squash is. It is a little difficult. I will say, especially I made some this week and the squash that I got was just really hard. The outside was, you know, the rind of it was really hard to cut through, but do that and then put them out on a baking sheet on actually on a baking rack that's been put on top of the baking sheet. I put some tinfoil down too Mm because then I have no no cleanup. Mm -hmm. And here's the the real key. A lot of people say that when they cook spaghetti squash, it's mushy. Yes. Yes. Mushy squash is no good. No. So it is the stuff of nightmares, quite honestly. Totally. (laughs) People who don't like squash are like, oh, I had zucchini when I was a kid and it's so slimy. So squishy and slimy. Yes. Don't want that. So what people have said to her, and she highly recommends and I do as well, is take those rings and get out your just your basic table salt and salt them. Okay. Both sides. Mm-hmm. So sprinkle, you know, pretty liberally, salt on both sides of all of your rings. Let them sit for 20 minutes. It will draw a lot of water out of your squash. So it's going to help it to not be mushy. It's really kind of fun to look at actually because you can see all like the beads of water ah, popping up yes. you know, on the squash. Uh-huh. So then after um, 20 minutes or so, you're going to take a paper towel and you're going to dry all your squash off both sides. And then I put it in an oven because at that point it's just easier to do in the oven. 400 degrees, 20 to 30 minutes, you can test and that's going to cook it. So since you've gotten all that water out, your squash are going to be much more dry. You take your rings out and then you take your fork and you kind of pull them all out of the middle of your rings. Uh-huh. And you have really long noodles then, you know, a, a noodle that is as long as a spaghetti noodle would be. I am so excited to try it this way. I never have tried it that way for sure. So, yeah. And actually mine are what I actually have come to prefer it even over regular pasta. And I do love regular pasta still. But it's kind of like an al dente pasta. The spaghetti squash is a little bit crisp 
and it's in these noodles. And so I'm usually eating it with a sauce, of course. I suppose you could just eat it with like butter and, you know, Parmesan. But I'm putting on you know, some sort of a marinara or even I've done it with shrimp scampi, you know, like a buttery garlic sauce. And it just absorbs that. And I'm like, I am so virtuous. I am eating squash. Right. I'm yeah. eating extra vegetables. <laughs> Gold star plus 500 grown-up points for Kelly. And it tastes good. So that's my new thing. That is definitely kind of my awesome for the fall, I think, because it's it's fun. I I haven't tried to get my kids to try it yet or my husband. They might like it, though. I think that, you know, first you sell yourself uh-huh. and then sell your other people. Yes. So I have sold me. Hopefully I will sell you awesomes to try a spaghetti squash. Maybe just feed it to you. See what you think. Let me know if you think this cutting it in the rings thing, especially if you tried it the other way and not had great results and the salting it. Those might be the keys. Love it. Sounds so awesome. I'm actually really excited to give it another try because, yeah, I've seen recipes for it for years and I've always just completely written it off like, oh, I can't do it. It's too hard. It'll turn out terrible. It's not. It's not hard. It's a little time consuming, but it's not hard at all. One on the easy scale. So what you got for us this week, Megan? Okay, my awesome of the week is one that lots of you awesomes are buzzing about. I've seen lots of talk about it in our Hangout group on Facebook and also just in my regular Facebook feed. Lots of people are talking about it's the new NBC primetime drama or dramedy, however you want to categorize it. It's called This Is Us. Oh, yes. Yes. So I saw a lot of people talking about that they gave it a try, and it's so good. So I am really bad at watching shows in real time as they're being released. It just started. There's only two episodes out as we're recording. And I'm really bad about this, but I was like, if there are this many people, and people whose taste in television I deeply trust are saying, oh my gosh, This Is Us is so good, I figured I would give it a try. And I have to say, I'm we're two episodes in and I'm definitely hooked. So cool. the story on This Is Us is this. The creator and showrunner is a man who may sound familiar to those of us who watch lots of Disney animated stuff around the house. His name's Dan Fogelman. And if his name sounds familiar, it's because he wrote screenplays for lots of the Disney animated, like modern era movies like Bolt, uh, Cars, Tangled, and he's written um, many other screenplays as well. Well, he is the showrunner, the sort of guiding force for This Is Us. And it is definitely a kind of like family relationship, middle of life uh, exploration of these things that we're going through in our 30s and, and into our 40s kind of story. It stars people like Mandy Moore is in it, Sterling mm-hmm. K. Brown. It's really a great cast. It has great music choices, which Kelly, you know, that speaks to me. I've already been on Tune Find to check out some of the songs that were played in each episode. So I saw a lot of people kind of discussing is this going to be the new parenthood since parenthood I have that's my exact question. Yes, I've seen a lot of people and that is kind of the holy grail. It is the holy grail, but I have to tell you I did not watch parenthood. I watched the the okay. pilot of it and I just was like I am not in a place for a boohoo show in Wait my a life minute. right now. You haven't watched? I mean, I, I haven't watched all of it much to my sister's dismay, uh-huh. but I didn't know that you had watched that show. Listen, I'm really bad at these shows. I I am too. (laughs) Obviously. 
But I was I just thought you were really good at it, Megan. Well, I watch a lot of series, but I'm bad at the family kind of like I don't know how to describe it. Like the 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 family relationship dramedy. I'm not good at it. I didn't watch Parenthood. We have not watched Friday Night Lights. That's primarily because Kyle says it gives him PTSD from his (laughs) coaching days. (laughs) I haven't seen Gilmore Girls. So a lot of these really like relationship driven shows I haven't seen. So I went into this with really no expectations. I wasn't comparing like, is this going to be my new parenthood or anything like that? I just heard a lot of people talking about how good it is. So I decided to check it out. And again, like I said, with Parenthood, I watched the pilot. This was years ago, of course. And I was just like, I can't and just can't do any kind of emotion driven show right now. So I never got into it. I'm you and I are maybe the only ones who haven't seen the yeah, whole we thing might be. on the, the whole only planet. people in America awesomes yeah. right now are gasping all over the world. Like, <laughs> what? What? Yeah. So there's probably a good number of people who are listening who don't trust my television taste. <laughs> Because I haven't seen some of these Hallmark shows. But I have to say, it is very emotional. I did. I have cried so far in both episodes. I'm going to tell you that. That may speak more to my own personal state of mind more than anything else. But so far, it's very awesome. I have to tell you, like, um, it's hard to talk about the plot of it without giving stuff away. It is definitely a show where the construct of how the plot plays out it's a little different and a little unexpected. And so I feel like I can't really go into a lot of the details on the show without divulging some major spoilers, even from the pilot. So I'm just going to say it's in the family relationship category. Really well done. I'm super excited about it. I do, I like I said, I'm, I'm bad at keeping up with shows as they're um, as they're being released, as they're in production. But this one, I mean, it's, you know, by the time you watch it on Hulu, it's like 40 minutes or 45 minutes or something. Right. So, yeah, I think I'm in for the long haul on This okay. Is Us. That's my So awesome you're going to try to watch it, even if you don't watch it that same night that it comes right, out. Right. It's on Tuesday nights, right? I, I honestly don't even know. I think okay, it is Tuesday I, I think night. it is. I, I, feel I feel like, like yeah. That's when I see it show up in my Facebook thread yes. as well. As a lot of people who are talking about it, Jen Hatmaker ah, okay. is is like a show promoter pretty much at this point. Okay. I think like she, her feed is funny. If you like the show, you should definitely check her out. But I do think that if you really like a show, the test is even if you're watching it on Hulu or on an app, are you going to watch it the same week? Yes. Yes, okay. so far I have. Um, so far I have kept up as each new episode has come out. Um, so, so yeah, our evenings, and Kelly, I'm sure you can relate to this, our evenings are just so um, nonstop with activity and getting people picked up from places and fed and in bed. I just don't, it's too stressful to try to watch something that mm-hmm. is, you know, live. So <laughs> Absolutely. And I'll tell you, being just a little bit further down the parenting road, uh-huh. having teenagers. Yes. Like that's, they wake up at about 10 yes. at night. So, yeah. I, you know, I, what I'm learning and it's good, I've, I've, I'm starting to catch up to it, but just that whole, like it used to be, you know, you kind of got the kids to bed, 8.30, 9.30 uh-huh. and you're like, okay, now I have some me time. No. That is probably not going to happen once you have teenagers because that's, you know, I mean, obviously you can say there are nights I've said to them, I am done. I cannot talk to you. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. I love you dearly. Go to bed. Yes. Um, <laughs> But, you know, right. that, that's kind of prime time for them and for that relationship. So, yeah, I have to watch shows not during prime time, not right. when the rest of America does. I'm so thankful that we live in this day and age when oh we really gosh. can. Me yeah. too. And by the time 9 o'clock, 9.30 rolls around, I'm so, like, I'm so sleepy, especially, especially since I've been back from Lebanon. My 39-year-old body is having a really hard time. <laughs> 
<laughs> getting rested up and fully recovered from my travels overseas. So this yeah. the past two weeks, definitely I have not been up past 9.30 for sure. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay, so let's just pause there for a minute. Okay. Since you've been back from Lebanon. Yes. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. That's why we're here. That is why we're here. Yes. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, We've done the Lebanon trip. It was amazing. There is so much that I'm going to be sharing with you in terms of the stories of the people that we met while we were in Lebanon, this team that I went on, uh, this team that I went with to Lebanon. I'm going to be showcasing their stories in the coverage that I release later. But we were talking and we thought it might be something that you all would be interested in to hear just my story of this trip and how my experiences went. So Kelly is going to be kind of the stand-in. She's going to represent the awesomes Mm -hmm. here and abroad who might like to hear (laughs) how the trip was. So I'm going to kind of turn it over to Kelly and she's going to really lead the way on the rest of this show. Right. So we're just going to try to tease out all the answers, all the things that we think that you guys might really find interesting. And I'll tell you really on a personal note, I don't even know the answers to these questions yet. Because Megan has been processing and I didn't want to steal her thunder. So I'm excited, just like you guys are hopefully listening to hear the answers. So let's just start at the beginning, Megan. Tell us how you even ended up on this trip. Okay, well, let me start at the beginning. If you're not familiar with World Vision, it is a Christian humanitarian aid organization that has um, has structures and offices in place both here in the United States and then also in countries around the world. And those offices and and structures uh, that are international, those are like they're their own kind of independent things that are all under the big umbrella of World Vision. You, If you are um, part of the Christian faith, you may be familiar with Rich Stearns, the man who started World Vision. He wrote a book called The Whole in Our Gospel. He speaks often with great passion about justice issues, again, here at home and around the globe. So that's kind of the context for World Vision. World Vision USA is obviously part of World Vision, and they are the ones who put this trip together. If you have followed people who have blogged in the Christian space through the years, you've maybe seen people travel, bloggers who have traveled with World Vision to different uh, places around the world. We have friends who have gone to Sri Lanka and Bolivia and all kinds of places with World Vision. And a lot of times what they were doing were they were showcasing World Vision's child sponsorship program, Mm-hmm. which is a huge part of how World Vision works in these countries. They have child sponsorship programs to kind of uh, come, in, come in and support children as they are growing up in countries, doing community development, all kinds of things um, to make, the difference, make a difference in the lives of people around the world. Back in June, they reached out to me to see if I would be interested in going on this trip, which, is not, which was not a blogging trip, but uh, instead a media trip where they were bringing people from different uh, different aspects of media to come on this trip to Lebanon to see what World Vision is doing in the country of Lebanon to help bring relief and possibly, hopefully down the road, development to Syrians who are experiencing the crisis that started in Syria in 2011 with their country's civil war. So that's kind of the the long answer of that, of just the context for what this trip was. It was meant to uh, really just bring awareness to this work that is being done to bring relief and hope and really practical solutions for people who are experiencing the refugee crisis. Right. 
And you mentioned that this was your first trip out of yes. the U.S., which, you know what, I looked up some statistics because I thought, you know, that's probably not all that common. And I think that the most, some of the most recent studies has said like one in three Americans never do leave oh, the country. Yes. So it's not that uncommon. So to some people, they might be going, yeah, I've never left the country. Other people might be thinking, I leave the country all the time or right. you know, anybody who's in Europe. <laughs> yes. It's just so much more common to travel and cross those borders. Yes. So let's talk about that because that was a big, big deal because it wasn't just your first time out of the country. It was your first time out of the country traveling halfway across the globe mm-hmm. and to a war zone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. So one of my first hesitations when World Vision asked me to go on this trip was about the actual travel itself. I have talked on the show, I mentioned a couple of times, Kyle and I are really homebodies. I love a good road trip, but I'm really bad with flying. Um, I It's not even necessarily the part where I'm on the plane, although that does make me jittery. I have been on flights with people who were legitimately having like a really hard time with the flying part. So that kind of gave me some context to know, like, I mean, I'm a little jittery about that. It makes me a little nervous. I uh, somehow am able to convince myself of the statistics of how safe flying is while we're actually It is. It is really safe. You mean, statistically, I know it doesn't translate this way in our brain. It's more dangerous to get behind the car, which we almost everybody does every day in America. Yes. Um, My thing is I get really, really, really freaked out about the details and the logistics of airports. So like what you can pack in your carry-on, what has to go in your checked luggage, and then making connections, or as they call it abroad, your transfers, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. I learned that when I got off the plane in Belgium and I saw these signs for transfers everywhere. I was like, I don't even know. Is that where I'm supposed to go? (laughs) Where am I transferring? Do I get credits? Do they come with me? Exactly. Um, But so yes, just the getting to the next plane on time all of that stuff, getting to your destination, ultimately, it really freaks me out. When I was in high school and college, I was in Oklahoma, my parents lived in Pennsylvania, and I flew back and forth a lot at Christmas, spring break, other breaks that we had. And I had really bad luck flying those flights. And again, especially the ones that were Christmas, there was almost always a blizzard. I have missed flights. I've had to sit in airports for like eight hours trying to get on the next flight. When I was younger and it was just me, it was like, oh, this is a fun adventure. Uh, I, at 39, no longer see see that part as an adventure so much. So I was very nervous about the travel part of it. Mm-hmm. In terms of going to Lebanon, and I, I will go into much more detail on this, so I don't want to give too much away, but I, I will go into more detail about this in the coverage that will be released later. But Kelly, you know, you and I are, are close enough in the same age that for many of us in our age group, when we hear Lebanon, we think of Lebanon civil war mm-hmm. that took place from 1975 to 1990. And the news footage that we saw here in the States of the you know, the terrible and devastating effects of 15 years worth of civil war in that country. Now, the civil war is in the past for Lebanon, although it definitely still has an impact on uh, the, the sort of the psyche mm-hmm. of the people sure. of Lebanon, obviously. But, you know, in terms of safety, I just I had no concept of with it being right next to Syria, with there being lots of ISIS activity in that region of the world. Is this even a safe trip to have? So I spent a lot of time on the phone with Johnny, our trip director from World Vision, talking through the safety aspects Mm -hmm. of the trip. And ultimately, when World Vision first emailed me to ask me about going on this trip, I profoundly knew that I needed to go. 
that did not instantly quell my fears, though. So there was a lot of conversations about what is this going to look like? Well, you know, when I tell my kids, we talk about what courage means. They'll say, I can't do it, mom. I'm afraid. Uh And I heard that best definition. Having courage doesn't mean that you're being brave. Doesn't mean that you're not afraid. It means that you do the right thing. You act despite the fear. Yes. So the most brave people usually had that fear but they, they went anyway. So this was a really a brave thing to do. And I'm not saying that to pump you up or anything. I'm, I'm honestly saying, I think for almost anybody, they would have to acknowledge, you know, if they're sane, that there's a lot of risk yeah. to taking a trip like this for many different reasons. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I can say too, uh, on this end of it, that my travels were a breeze. I genuinely, truly do believe that the Um, the awesomes and also my personal friends and family who were praying and who were sending good positive travel vibes my way I truly believe that made a difference because I made every connection fine every flight was wonderful that I didn't even there wasn't even like any turbulence to to kind of get me feeling a little off kilter I mean every single flight through every airport was amazing so that's great and did you sleep on the flights like what were your flights themselves like okay so i i left oklahoma city and flipped to chicago o'hare and from there uh i got on one of those big old jets and flew over to um to brussels belgium that was an overnight flight my time for my body i did not sleep i didn't sleep really I, i dozed on some flights but again just the just the nerves of it all. Sure. I just could not relax to actually fall asleep like for hours, which it's so funny. You can kind of tell the more seasoned travelers. They like sit down in the seat, put their seatbelt on and they're out. Right. <laughs> that was not me. I watched movies. I did on my way over there. I, I did a lot of prep work for, to get ready for interviews and those types of things. So that actually I did have a lot to kind of work on on my way over. So uh, from from Brussels then I flew into Beirut, which was a beautiful flight on Middle East Airlines, which is Lebanon's national airline. I, they're, they're so fun, which you would not associate Middle East Airlines with being so fun, but they kind of have this vintage retro aesthetic going on where the uh, flight attendants all wear like pillbox hats and their hair's pulled back in neat buns and they're very wearing chic. pumps. It's very chic. It's a very fun kind of fancy experience flying into Beirut. And then I flew on the way home. I flew out of Beirut to Frankfurt, Germany, and then from Frankfurt over to Denver, where I thought I would never get out of security and customs. Oh, my God. They are real serious about people coming back into the United States. Yeah, I was in security and customs, and it wasn't. It was just there were so many people. I didn't get right. like pulled aside for questioning. Although, although the person who did do my passport control was like, "Tell me, like, tell me every reason why you're in Lebanon." So it was a little bit longer conversation. But I was in security and customs for so long. I thought I was going to miss my flight out of Denver to Oklahoma City. I. I got to the gate, sat down, could catch my breath for a minute, and then we started boarding the plane. That was the closest call I had, though. But that was in the U.S., so it wasn't like you were going to be somewhere in Europe, you know, where, you know, dealing with connecting flights and possible language barriers. Yeah. Yeah, So that's great. The airports in uh, in Brussels and in Frankfurt were amazing. People were very nice and very helpful at every turn in those airports. Uh, Beirut's airport, I'm going to tell you all that I love Lebanon. I have a deep and abiding affection in my heart now for the country of Lebanon. But the the airport in Beirut is not Western. (laughs) (laughs) Well, 
Greet it's me not. to this part of the world, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 totally. I was prepared, like I was prepared in my mind that that one might be um, a little bit more difficult to navigate. I just was not prepared for how difficult it was. Well, in, in what way? So describe it, really. <clears throat> okay, so outside of the airport experience, everybody that I met in Beirut was so warm and friendly, even if they didn't seem like they would be on first approach, like even like shopkeepers and people at cafes, um, everywhere. People were just so nice. When we were, we kind of did some touristy things the first day, um, people who were obviously Lebanese would stop us and be like, welcome to Lebanon. And it was so great. Inside the airport, like going through passport control there was the only time someone was distinctly, um, this is a strong word, but... (laughs) think it's accurate. It was like really hateful to me. Uh, we grabbed my passport, looked through it for a long time, and then he's done. He threw it back across the counter at me. <laughs> right. Which honestly, Which, it could have been just that person. Like you can sometimes meet that totally person in Denver been. or in New yes, York. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That could have happened in just as easily in Oklahoma City Airport. Right. For sure. For sure. But that was my first moment. I had just landed. I'd been traveling, you know, for like 15 hours. I just landed in Beirut and I was like, okay, I'm totally not in America anymore. <laughs> um, so tell me if we can just maybe that's talking about your expectations of like what the airports would be like and everything. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. what about the whole trip? Yeah. You know, like talking about going to a Lebanon, um, a, right. a country you've never been to, a part of the world you've never been to. So what, what kind of the expectations, the thoughts that you had before you went and then Tell us what you really bumped up against. I mean, what was the reality? What proved uh, true and what didn't? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So um, I I had really very little context for what Lebanon is like right now in 2016. I did, <laughs> I did watch Anthony Bourdain's episode of Parts Unknown, where he focused on Beirut. I watched that a couple of times just to kind of try to get a visual even mm-hmm. of what it was going to be like. What I was completely unprepared for was what it is like to be in a truly urban, high-density population part of the planet. Now, you all have to bear in mind, I've never been to New York City. I've never been to London or any other place, whether domestically or abroad. I've not been in places where there are just a lot of people crammed into a small space. So Mm -hmm. that was my first experience with that. Flying into Beirut... You just can't even believe there's high rise apartment buildings everywhere, everywhere spread across the cityscape. And so you fly right into that. Um, I didn't I again, I just didn't have any context for what urban neighborhoods are like in that sense in that. So there's no big box stores there. There's no Target or Walmart or, or any place even similar to that. So everything that you need when you live in one of these neighborhoods is all shops. So in true urban style, there's shops all on the first floor of these neighborhoods and then apartment buildings, you know, stacked above it. Um, And so just so many people, the driving is crazy. When I got in the cab to go from the airport to our hotel, I thought, I survived the flights over here, but I'm going to die in a cab in Beirut. <laughs> it was crazy, which I've heard lots of people talk about Rome or, you know, places in India, wherever across the world where driving is just super, super different than it is in the United States. Very true in Beirut. But the people there are all very accustomed to driving right. that way. So it was actually, we didn't see a single wreck or accident or anything like that. Um, so I was not prepared for the, the driving situation. I also didn't realize that Lebanon as a country, it sits on the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. It's all mountains, canyons, and coastline. 
Like I think a lot of people, when they think of the Middle East region of the world, automatically think deserts. Oh, right. Like a flat desert, like what you would see, you know, in a movie with sand dunes stretching on endlessly. Like Afghanistan, Mm -hmm. um, even Iraq to some extent. I was not prepared for how beautiful, how stunningly beautiful the country of Lebanon is. These just like tree-lined canyons everywhere. We spent time in the mountains. We spent time in cities. Um, I just, I was completely unprepared for how stunningly gorgeous it is as a country. Um, I was also, I knew this going in, but to actually experience it with something else, how ancient Lebanon is. Mm -hmm. So the cedars of Lebanon, which are these, you know, there's just like huge swaths of land that are cedars throughout the country, some of those trees are like 3,000 years old, and those are just the trees. We were in two different cities while we were there that can trace their roots back 6,000 years. Kelly, isn't that crazy? It is crazy. I think, you know, I think most of the people who listen to our show are Americans, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so they will understand this, but I think that people who maybe aren't from this country who are from Europe or for sure the Middle East or China, you know, the cultures around most of the world are so ancient compared to ours. You know, when we talk about something being old, we're saying it's 100 years old. Mm -hmm. 200 is like inconceivable. Like if you live in a house that's 200 years old, oh my goodness, like you are a rare person. And in California, you know, the further west you go in the United States, something old is like 60 years old. You know, like (laughs) it's just, we don't have the generations, the time span. And so all of that history that's just baked into these countries, it I think it truly does catch most Americans kind of by surprise. It just boggles our minds a little bit. It was definitely mind-boggling and so amazing. I just, again, I don't want to give too much away because I'll cover more of it in the series, but to be somewhere that entrenched in time and like you said, in culture was, it was like nothing I could have even imagined. So it was pretty magical. I, I really, really love Lebanon. Okay. Well, I think that a lot of people, because you are right now telling us about a different side of Lebanon than the one we maybe grew up with or the one that we see in the news, which is filled with the effects of the Syrian war and all the refugees. So they might have thought immediately, I think a lot of people, when they heard you were going to Lebanon, they said, is this safe? Mm -hmm. And you've talked about that a little bit, but I want to hear, you know, both your thoughts and what happened while you were there. Did you feel safe? Um, What really happened in the day to day? And even some of those smaller questions, I think, because you're going into a foreign country, a different culture, um, did you have to wear a hijab? You know, did you have to, what could you do as far as being not in America? What was kind of your day-to-day life like there? Sure, sure. Well, um, I'll start with the hijab question because a couple of people asked me even before I left if that was something that I would, that the women on the trip would be expected to uh, wear. And I actually did know a little bit, from again, from, thank you, Anthony Bourdain, <laughs> knew from the visuals um, that, Lebanon is fairly liberal uh, as a country, particularly for that region. You know, that's another thing I learned while I was there is how much I don't know about each individual country over there and what their cultural expectations and standards are. But I do know Lebanon. uh, First of all, Lebanon's population is roughly half Christian and then roughly half Muslim. So you have a significant amount of the population who would not wear hijab anyway because they are Christian uh, women. And then 
even beyond that, not all Muslim women, this is true whether you're here or, you know, many places around the world, not all Muslim women wear hijab. It's Mm -hmm. in some ways um, a question of personal comfort level. Um, The hijab is the head covering that you all may be familiar with that covers your hair and your neck. Uh, Some Muslim women feel, uh, feel that that is a way they can express their modesty and the way they feel most comfortable being out in um, in society and other women feel the freedom to not cover to not use any kind of head cover so in Lebanon because again it's there's a fairly liberal prevailing attitude towards those things um, there's definitely women that you see all over that uh, that are not that have no head cover on and it's really interesting because it's all like it's all blended right there together so you'll see a woman in like a tank top and shorts cross the street and then after her here comes a woman you know with a full hijab on and uh, uh, sleeves down to her wrists and, and you know, long pants or whatever so the only time that I did, uh, the women who are on the trip that we did cover our hair, uh, we didn't ha- do a formal hijab, but we did cover our hair and necks was when we did go visit a mosque for Friday noon prayer when we were there. Um, and we just certainly, of course, wanted to be respectful to right. the the worshipers there at the mosque um, and wanted to do what was culturally appropriate and culturally sensitive. And that was no problem at all. So you see all kinds of clothing there. Um, but for people who are uh, practicing Muslim, you see, you know, especially when it comes to the mosque, people observing the, the cultural traditions of the mosque. So safety wise, I do have to tell you that I imagined in my naive American imagination that there would be lots of armed guards like Lebanese Ar- army, um, armed police everywhere. There are checkpoints along the major roads throughout the country, and you do see some armed guards there, but and at the airport, you see some of that. But just like walking down a street in a neighborhood, no, you don't see any of that. You see, really, I mean, if there's police presence there, it's very low key uh, in the city of Beirut. And I would imagine out uh, when we were out aside of Beirut, um, up in the mountains and some of the other cities we visited, I don't think I saw a single armed person anywhere. Now, we did stick to the areas in Lebanon that are most consistently safe. There was one day that we traveled out to the Bekaa Valley where um, security is a little bit tighter, but we didn't travel up to, like, say, the north, up to Tripoli, or down in the south, closer to the border with Israel, where things can get a little tense. We did not go to those places at all. So the places that we were in, in Beirut and the cities that were close by, um, it was just, I, I'm going to tell you, I have been in places in the United States where I felt much less safe than right. I did. That's what I was just thinking. Is yeah. that my husband has been in New York City this week for meetings, and he said that at LaGuardia, there were armed guards with machine guns yes. everywhere. Yeah. Probably because of some of the high-profile events that have been going on in New York City this week. It's not always that way. He flies in and out of a lot of big cities. So that caught him off guard in some ways. So it's not always that way. But I mean, that was in the USA, and that's just yes. how life is these days for a lot of the world. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear that it wasn't, you know, overly not oppressive, you know. Right. So how did you, like, what did you eat? What was the hospitality like? Did you stay in hotels? Did you stay with people? How did that part of your trip work? Okay, so for the most part, we were at a hotel in Beirut, which was is a very Western-oriented hotel. They play Western, like, American music over the 
you know, like hotel sound system. So we would hear like Elvis and Justin Bieber. Right. Sometimes you're like, wait a minute, I I flew all the way around the world. I want to hear something different. (laughs) Exactly. Don't play the Beatles for me or Elvis or Madonna. Like, I want to hear something that's your culture. Yes. But I know how it is. You know, they want to make you feel welcome and comfortable. They do. It's very Western oriented. And and lots of Lebanese families actually go to this particular hotel just for like family vacations and stuff. So, um, So one thing that's interesting about Lebanon is that the electrical infrastructure is maxed out. And again, I don't think this is unique to Lebanon. This is, you know, electrical and other infrastructure problems are common around the world. We get, we are so spoiled. The first thing that I told Kyle when I got settled into my hotel room and, and amazingly for technology, we like FaceTimed every day and checked in and those types of things. But the first thing I told him was like, people outside of the United States do not use air conditioning the way we use air conditioning. It's Which, very true. You know, in Oklahoma City and I'm sure lots of other places around our country, from April to October, air conditioners run all the time. You're in your air conditioned home, you're in your air conditioned car, office building, school, whatever. And we run it cold, you know, like we keep it chilly. And that is not the case for lots of reasons outside of the US. Um, but so in, in Lebanon, because of the electrical infrastructure problems, they have rolling blackouts. So you'll just be sitting at dinner um, or like me one time in the shower or getting into an elevator and the lights all go out. Now, Lebanese are used to it. And thankfully, it only takes about 30 seconds and then everything comes back up again. Okay, so it's it's scheduled in the sense that we know this is coming, it's going to yes. happen, it only is going to last for a minute, so no one panics. Right. It's just a normal part of life, like a red light yes. at, a, at a road. You say, well, this is where I have to stop and hold up for a minute, but then I yeah. can keep going. Yes. Okay. Also in the hotel room, uh, probably because of wasteful Westerners like me, uh, when you walk in, you have to slip your um, hotel key card into a slot to turn on the electricity in your room. That took me mm-hmm. like 15 minutes to figure out, but I was too embarrassed to call the front desk and be like, why did none of the lamps work in here? Um, but so to kind of like encourage people, like if you're not going to be in here using the TV and like, don't leave all the lights on and the air conditioner right. running when you leave, which you do at home, you wasteful Americans. <laughs> <laughs> right. We're not going to say it, but we're going to make you put your key right. in and yeah. be intentional uh-huh. about turning the electricity and using it. Intentional electrical usage, yes, that took it used to. Um, there's some toileting differences, like you cannot flush any paper, which again, I've had people from who've traveled lots of places in the world say that's very common. Most most countries, you don't flush any paper in the toilet. Um, also, a bidet in the bathroom was a new experience, something too that was foreign to me. So, okay, so those were just some of the logistics, but we were in, um, we stayed in hotels the whole time, one main one in Beirut and one in the Bekaa Valley. Um, okay, and tell me about food. Food. <laughs> Hello. Oh tell me about the food, Megan. What did you eat? Did every- you eat Lebanese food? Yes, we ate Lebanese food pretty much every meal. People prepared me before I left. They were like, the food is so good. And I was like, great, awesome. What I didn't realize is how delicious it is. Everything is so fresh. So every meal starts with these big bowls of tabbouleh, these, you know, like mint salads that um, is the the starter for the meal. And they just, there's platters, everything is family or everywhere we went, everything was served family style. So big platters of um, falafel and uh, 
kebabs of meat, stuffed grape leaves. Um, there's pita, pita for every meal, for everything. <laughs> like really good homemade pita that I have never experienced here in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, hummus, fresh vegetables. They eat lots of fresh fruit for dessert. That's a mm-hmm. common dessert is just fresh fruit. And there's just so much. They, they start you with this huge spread. And those are just like the appetizers, like the, you know, just sit down and kind of start talking. And then they start bringing out all of these meats. And um, oh, my gosh, it's just it's so much food. And interestingly, so getting getting something to drink there, the water, I suppose, is technically safe. But everyone is like, well, you just just drink bottled water. Lebanese people drink bottled water everywhere. So they would bring out these big, big bottles of water and then just kind of, you know, pour cups for everybody around the table. Anytime I wanted something a little fizzier, I could not find a Diet Coke anywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have heard this. Or ice. Could you find ice? A lot of people talk about that. There, you have to ask for ice, and it's a little bit more of an ordeal to get um, ice for anything. But but yeah, so uh, Diet Pepsi was offered in the stead of Diet Coke everywhere. And after a week, this is so weird. I don't know. I should knock on wood. I don't know if it's going to stick or not. But after a week, I was kind of like, I guess I don't even want it anymore. Like I got home and I've had it a few times. but I kind of lost the taste for it after drinking so much water for a week and no access to Diet Coke. So that was an interesting part of acclimating. Yeah, because... You're not saying it, but just so everybody knows, and I'm not really a Diet Coke drinker either, but I have heard Diet Pepsi is no substitute for Diet Coke. Oh my gosh, no, not even close, not even close. So, so yeah, um, there's just, there's such a culture of hospitality there. Again, something I'll talk about more in the series that I will be putting together, but the table and conversations around the table, um, families around the table, like... Uh, it's very common for like there's there's kids everywhere and families are very close knit there. Um, so it's, you know, family gatherings are everybody gathered around the table and the kids are running around and playing. Um, I, and I've heard this from our friend Tish Oxenrider, who said this and lots of other people that have traveled overseas. Parenting is just a lot more laid back there. People just, you know, kids run and play far with far less supervision <laughs> than Americans tend to uh, insist on providing for their younger kids. So yeah, just the, the table is a very, very big, important part of Lebanese culture. And we were so, so overwhelmingly fortunate to get to experience that firsthand there. Right. And you were eating with people, I'm assuming different Lebanese families or people that were serving as maybe translators or guides for you. I mean, no, not really, actually. We did have um, a translator a couple of times, and they did, we a couple of translators, and they did eat with us. We, the, the day that we went to the mosque, um, the sheikh who is over that mosque, he and his family hosted us for, for lunch mm-hmm. after that service. But the rest of the time, it was just those of us on the team, really. Right. So let's, let's talk about that. So th- yeah. those are the people that you were sharing your meals with and, of yes. course, sharing everything with. Yes. You know, your experiences, your thoughts, your feelings, your time. Right. Let's talk about them. I I don't know that I personally had heard of most of these people mm-hmm. before you went. So why don't you tell tell the you know awesome community? Did you know any of the people that went with you on this trip before, or you know how did it work getting to know them while you were there? Yeah, so I didn't know a single person, not a single person. Johnny was the only person I had even talked to prior to the trip, and that was again just kind of talking through logistics and those types of things. So we had a couple of people who 
were there in the capacity that they're in Washington, D.C. And so they kind of um, are uh, connected to policy things that are happening there. Um, Olivia Enos from the Heritage Foundation was there, and she was speaking, looking to gather information specifically for some policy stuff. Um, Christopher Hale was on the trip. He is also in Washington, D.C. He is um, an executive director for a Catholic nonprofit um, that is devoted to sort of justice issues, sort of the short answer of that. And um, he also writes for Time and The Atlantic and, and some other publications along those lines. So it was really interesting to hear perspective from people who are inside the DC loop, I guess you could mm-hmm. say, just like in in the politics and the political aspects of the things that we are seeing and the people that we were meeting. Those are perspectives that I definitely do not usually hear. We had lots of fascinating conversations in the van because we were driving to different places each day. And I had heard from other friends who have gone on trips with World Vision and other organizations that the the trips in the van are like where there's a lot of great conversation going on and that definitely held true on this trip another woman that i had not met although we definitely have lots of friends in common is vicky reddy she is one of the co-producers of the justice conference um she's australian and um so i was just loved listening to her talk all week Mm -hmm. i would just you know like put my chin in my hand and be like just tell me a story (laughs) (laughs) i know we all do that yes i'm so sorry we have all americans yes the rest of the world we we love you just talk to us uh vicky also together with ann voskamp started a movement called we welcome refugees so that was you know sort of her role in the trip was kind of gathering information for people who want to actively be involved in uh, making a difference in the refugee movement Esther Havens, again, someone I had not met before, though we do have many friends in common. She is a humanitarian photographer and just so incredible. She travels all over the world, um, shooting pictures, um, working with different businesses, corporations, organizations to capture images of people around the world. She reminded me so much of what I know of Brandon Stanton of um, Humans of New York and how he approaches his work, a very personal connection with people. That is the way Esther would work as we were meeting people. She is just so warm and will just talk to anybody. Um, Even if there's a language barrier there, she just conveys her warmth and her care, um, the dignity that she assigns people as she's taking their pictures. Her work is outstanding, and I'm so glad I got to meet her and experience her for a week. Also on the trip is a woman named Mirka Deanus, who is a uh, former anchor and journalist with Univision, who now does freelance journalism work, who is very motivated by and passionate about justice issues um, in our country and abroad. And so she was there, again, doing some work just in terms of um, general journalistic reporting. So it was really fun to get to know her and to get to hear her experience as a journalist, as, um, you know, kind of hear her perspective as we were meeting people and exploring these situations. So then we had our World Vision people. um, Johnny was there and then um, Tom Costanza, who is a 15-year veteran of World Vision work. He's a photographer and videographer. I adore Tom. He he and I really clicked. He's... um, Uh, kind of a dad figure kind of guy or uh, somebody who has been all around the world and had so many great stories to tell. Um, And then our Lebanese World Vision person, her name's Olivia, she was fantastic, so patient with our American questions and our 
misunderstandings of what was going on, you know, like in terms of politics and religion and all types of things. She was fantastic. So yeah, it was quite quite a fascinating team of people that I did not know, but now feel I will always have, you know, a special place in my heart for because right. we got to experience this together. Right. And so you were helping to tell these stories. They were telling the stories in their own media, possibly, or maybe yes. even just taking back facts, like you said, yes. for people in DC. Mm-hmm. And of course, you are now hard at work putting together the stories of the people that you met when you're in Lebanon that you get to share with us next week. So we'll get to, you know, travel with you. This is like all the personal stuff, but we'll get to go travel with you and meet the people that you meet um, on this trip. So that's exciting. So tell me real quick how your family did back in Oklahoma City, because as many of the Austins know, um, a couple of your kids were little sad that mom was leaving we all of those of us who have children understand what it would be like to try to leave for a week and this was the longest you'd ever left right I have never had never prior to this trip been away from my family for longer than about well a long weekend three days is really three or four days is the longest I had ever been this was a full solid week um, to be away by the time travel was included so honestly everybody did great they really did. Kyle, mm-hmm. my husband, was a rock star. He, he is. just managed everything. I had, you know, put together lots of information and helpful, you know, numbers and people that he could reach out to, but he really just managed it all. Now, we had lots of support um, in terms of Kyle's mom is close by. She came down um, daily, really, to kind of help and pitch in a, in a couple of places. Um, neighbors, friends, even the teachers at the girls' schools. It's kind of a community effort to support the Teets family while I was gone. The twins, I was so worried about the twins. They're three and a half, and I knew that, you know, the girls can at least understand, like, like they had paper chains to tear off a day, you know, each day that mom was gone. I had left them long notes to open and read each day. But I was so worried about the twins not really having a concept of where I was or when I was coming back. Oh my gosh, they were fantastic. They, I would FaceTime with Kyle every day. They would come and just basically say hi and then go back to playing. <laughs> they were yeah. so totally fine. That's so awesome. That is a good age. I think that yeah. it can go either way. You know, you think they're going to be fine and they totally lose it. But it's so wonderful when they're exactly like that. Like, oh, mom will be back. Like, we're so secure in this that even though we're not seeing her day to day, like it hasn't really hit us yet. Right, right. So they did great. The girls did wonderfully. Um, In fact, I had shared with our Hangout community before I left that AJ was having a really hard time. Just lots of tears, lots of anxiety about me being gone. She was so, so worried about my safety, really, while I was gone and just was having a hard time shaking that. So lots and lots of you awesome stepped up to the plate and shared your prayers and hopes and good words for her while I was gone. And so she wanted to actually come on the show with her own special message of thanks for you all. Okay, well, let's start with, can you tell people what your name is and maybe what grade you're in? My name is AJ, and I'm in third grade. Okay, and what did you want to tell the awesomes about the week that I was gone in Lebanon? I missed my mommy, but thank you for praying for me, and it wasn't as bad as I thought. Okay, and can you tell us what your name and grade is? Hi, my name is Daisy, and I'm in the sixth grade. And did you also have a message for the awesomes about the week that I was in Lebanon? 
I just wanted to say thank you for praying for us and living without mama was actually a lot different than I thought it would be. Our dad did a great job taking care of us and he made delicious meals and he still loved to talk to us. And again, thank you so very much for praying for us. Okay, thank you, ma'am. So yeah, overall, mm -hmm. everything went great. The only kind of part that was a little rocky that Kyle had to deal with was for some reason, the one problem the twins did have was um, with bathroom issues and <laughs> not going. <laughs> yes. So, Which can cause some stress. <laughs> yes. As yes. the week went on, that became more, more and more stressful for Kyle. So we kind of had some meetings back and forth. He and I did about some possible solutions. Eventually everything evened out and it was all fine, but that is not his favorite part of parenting. I mean, nobody likes to do that right. part of parenting, but it was particularly dicey for him. Right. But um, he made it through. Everybody was fine. Right. And uh, when I got home, he was like, okay, I'm so glad you're back. You're never leaving again. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Like, it's hard to do it all yourself, yeah. especially if you're not your life isn't yes. formed around doing that, you right. know, to kind of try to switch mm. roles mm -hmm. either direction, I think is just stressful. Yeah. It is, you know, for either yeah. parent. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was running his business and running our family all at once for a full week. And, and that was, it was a lot for him right. too. So, but he did great. Everybody was wonderful. So, well, do you have anything else that you want to share? I, I'm wondering if you want to share, because the people in the hangout group kind of know this, that your last couple days in Lebanon weren't so right. positive for you. Yes. Um, but so if you want to talk about that, but just because that's a personal note, but yeah. what else? I mean, is there anything else about the trip? So the only bad thing was I did get, I got really sick towards the end of the trip. Um, I got a really bad stomach thing happening. Um, I was kind of laughing and, and felt like, you know, like I'm an official overseas traveler now because I got right. sick overseas. <laughs> um, our, our world vision person, our, our, trip leader Olivia stepped in and, and helped me with some medicine that helped me get through the end of the trip. But then when I got back, it really hit full force and really completely zapped me really for the first week that I was back. It was, um, it was a pretty, pretty sketchy situation. Ended up on antibiotics and then bounced back and, and feeling physically, except for being still so fatigued. But beyond that, um, bounced back. But yeah, that was a little bit, I mean, that's a scary feeling to be overseas and I didn't have any family with me and to to be sick and then, you know, having to miss things that I had been looking forward to. Right. Um, that was hard. I, it could have been a lot worse. And I'm, I'm thankful that I was able to at least kind of get patched up enough to get, <laughs> get on the plane and get home. Um, I would say that was the only not so great part of the trip, really. But overall, I, I'm so thankful for this trip. When I think about my life and that I'm, might have had this opportunity and, and had said no, it like breaks my heart to think about that I wouldn't have this little pocket of time that I got to spend in Lebanon. And I have to say that traveling outside of the United States in 2016, when things are so divided here in our country and so tense here, and then traveling to a place, a country like Lebanon that has known division and known tension like literally since the formation of the country and certainly in huge ways, violent ways, um, 
massive ways that we don't really even have a, a capacity to understand, I think, in the United States. To be in that place and see how the people of Lebanon have continued to work together to build a society, to build a government together, to build a culture together, despite their differences, like really incorporating their differences into how their country runs and who they are as a people was so incredibly important to me. And in a weird way, I don't, I don't even know how this is going to hit people when I say this, but it, it gave me a sense of hope for where we are as a country right now. Like, this is uh, not to minimize at all the tensions and the divisiveness that we have happening here. But to be in a place that has known that and has come through it and continues to flourish and continues to be this incredible place of beauty and compassion and understanding it was so inspiring to me. Now, I realized throughout this whole hour that you and I have been talking, I haven't talk, talked about the Syrians that we met like at all. Trust me that that's intentional and that that coverage will be coming later. That's a whole different thing in the main reason that I was there. And so I don't want you all to think that <laughs> that I'm like leaving off like the most important reason that we had traveled over there. Right. This that's, is just the personal, like behind just, the scenes yes. for the awesome communities that you get to know yes. what Megan um experienced, you know, kind of because we all love her and we want to know, you know, what what happened through her eyes. But of course, then very soon we all get to hear the stories of the people that you met and some of the things that happened while you were there, the the majority, the meat of the trip. This is just the skeleton, the framework. Yes, exactly. That's a great way to put it. So I'm so thankful that I took the risk that Kyle, my husband, was supportive of me in going, that I was able to push through some layers of resistance that had me a little bit, you know, unsure of what of what I had said yes to. So overall, fantastic trip. I'm so, so deeply, profoundly grateful for it. So well, yeah. I am so eager and I think I can speak still for the awesomes here to hear the stories um, of the people that you met, of the refugees there, of, of what's really happening on the ground mm-hmm. um, in Lebanon and I think what you were talking about there at the end, that's just really going to stick with me, Megan, because what you're talking about is perspective. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Being in a country that has endured centuries mm-hmm. of conflict and conflict that is more violent and more disruptive than what we are dealing with now, even though it feels like the end of the world to most Americans, especially, you know, in our lifetime sort of a thing. We didn't live through the Civil War. You know, we right. weren't here when the Revolutionary War happened and right. America was splitting from England. This feels very big, but to get that perspective, that global perspective of not only our own problems, if you will, but the rest of the world. So to hear those stories, to hear the voices, to hear what you really saw mm-hmm. and experienced, I am so looking forward to that. I think it's just going to build into us so much that we don't even know yet that is going to add beauty and richness to our lives. Thank you for that. I sure hope so. I do. So, well, we would love to hear from you. If you have other questions about the trip that we didn't get a chance to cover today, or if you want to talk about your own experiences traveling abroad outside of the country where you live and the perspectives that that brought you, we would love to hear it. Uh, Kelly, remind us where we can find you all around the web. I am at Kelly at Lovewell on Instagram and Twitter. And on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash lovewellblog. Okay. Don't forget, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. You can find the show on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. And you can always find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll see y'all next time. 
Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffer, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at sortaawesomeshow.com where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at pragermusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.